Glenn Cunningham, the Olympic runner and also the father of Gene Cunningham, the missionary, it was quoted before his death in Reader's Digest as saying this, Africa's victorious falls produces a cloud of mist that is often heavy enough to impair visibility. While I was walking the path that skirts the gorge into which the Zambezi River tumbles, I noticed a sign on the rim but could not make it out. Not wanting to miss whatever I might be missing, I slithered and slid through the mud out to the very brink only to read the message, Danger, Crumbling Edge. (laughs) Having been to Victoria Falls and walked on that exact same path, I can sympathize with Glenn on that one. They're not real big on guardrails or safety regulations over there. I do remember one sign that was on that particular trail. It said, don't use this trail after dark. Lions present. And it was getting about 4.30 at the time. I thought, well, it's time to maybe we ought to move on down the road. As a quick aside, while we were walking along that trail, I told Moses Omobiku, my friend, and, and some other people there, I said, I, I think I'm going to go bungee cord jumping off the Victoria Falls Bridge. Now, that's a, a huge suspension bridge. It goes way, way, way down. And, and I have an extreme fear of heights. I'll admit that. So I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to get over that fear of heights is just to bungee cord jump right off the top. Well, they had a weight limit of 250 pounds. At the time, I was not the slender person that I am right now. And uh, so I was real close to the 250. And Moses, my friend, said, you know, this is Africa. And he's African, so he can say that. He said, this is Africa. And, you know, I'm not sure we should cut it quite that close on the, on the weight limit. I said, oh, they'll, they'll be fine. I've, I've kind of resolved to do this. And I'm, I decided I'm, I'm going to one of the other ladies that was on the trip with us, decided she would, if I would go, that she would go too. She had a dress on, and I said, well, you, you can't bungee cord jump in a dress. And she said, well, it's only going to matter one direction. She had a great sense of humor. <laughs> so so we, we walk up to the bridge, and, and my heart starts thumping a little bit the closer we get because I saw how far down it was. And then, to my great relief, they had a sign on the bridge that said they take the last customer at 445. And it was just slightly after 445 because they closed at 5 o'clock, and I was so appreciative. I never forget what Moses told me, though. I don't know if you remember this. As we were walking along there, he said, Bruce, would you consider doing this after the conference? So we could could get this all worked out. But uh, the Lord really took care of me on that one. It's unlikely that any of us in the coming year are going to face lions on a trail or crumbling cliffs off Victoria Falls. But we're all going to face difficulties. That's a sure thing. We all encounter certain dangers along the way, whether they may be the danger of failing health, a failing economic situation, either personally or nationally, or a failing relationship of some sort. The coming year is sure to be full of surprises. Some, I believe, will be very pleasant, and others maybe not so pleasant. But with each approaching difficulty, there will also be opportunity. Opportunity to demonstrate to a watching world that we truly do believe what we say we believe, that God exists and that he has provided for our salvation and that he comes alongside of us at the moments of our greatest need. We'll have an opportunity, I promise you that, in the coming year, no matter what the situation, no matter what the disasters that may come our way, we'll have an opportunity 
to show people that our relationship with Jesus Christ is real, that it's not a plaything, that it's not some sort of psychological exercise that we go through every week to make ourselves feel better. We'll have opportunities in the coming year. People of every time, people of every era, and of every place face challenges. There has been no golden age where troubles took a holiday. We sometimes look at the past and view it with such nostalgia that it makes the present look like something that's overly difficult. Maybe we think the past was a less stressful time, especially the further back in the past that we go. It was almost like it was a golden age, it was a wonderful time, and there were no troubles, no worries back then. You know what? There were. There were ever been as many worries back then as you have facing this day in front of you today. It's just that you've already been through that. We've already walked through that time. We've already passed through those dangers. We've already survived that, and we've witnessed how God took us underneath his protective wing and got us through those difficulties. That's why nostalgia is nostalgia. It's been so far in the past that all we see is the fact that we got through it. But what I'd like to encourage you to do today, and this is a, hopefully a message of encouragement. We're in Psalm 121, the passage that Dan read just a few moments ago. It's a passage about danger. But today's sermon is about encouragement. Because while we will face dangers, we will face difficulties, we will face death in the coming year. Maybe not our own, but somebody that we love or somebody that, somebody that we love loves. We'll face economic problems. That's almost a certainty in the coming year. But I want you to know it's an opportunity to demonstrate to a lost and dying world that, that your Christianity is real, it's serious, and you know that God's going to get you through it. Because if God's for you, who can be against you? No virus, no bug, no bacteria, no amount of national debt, no amount of threat from a foreign power. Nothing can be against you if God is on your side. So it seems to me... That while we do need to be aware of the problems that we face out there, the biggest thing that we need to do as we approach today and tomorrow and the next day and this whole year, and it's an election year, so things are going to get really hot out there, I believe, really intense, they always do. The thing that we need to do first and foremost is to make sure that we're on God's side. And in this passage, we're going to see that to be on God's side means that we're in His will, that we're obeying Him. That's my challenge for you today. This is not... This is not intended to be a negative message at all. I hope you leave here uplifted in a, in a positive way, while at the same time realizing that we will face difficulties. The Jews of old faced difficulties every time they traveled. Uh, we do too, I guess, and we pray oftentimes for travel mercies for our friends and our families. And I certainly pray that for you today. I know many of you are leaving to go to, back to your homes in other parts of the country, or you have loved ones that are here with you. But the Jews faced a different kind of difficulty when they traveled. If it wasn't bandits that they faced, it was wild animals or perhaps intense weather. But the Jews were also commanded, in spite of these difficulties that God knew would be there with travel, they were commanded at least three times a year to travel from wherever they were in Israel back to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. He commanded them to go to Jerusalem in spite of the fact, and it was a fact, that they would face difficulties along the way. But if they wanted to be in the middle of God's will, they had to pass through those difficulties. Had they stayed wherever they were in a place of relative safety, they would have not been in the middle of God's will, and they would have had trouble. And that's what this psalm 
is all about. Three times a year, they go to Jerusalem. The psalm's main concern is for the safety. As Dan very correctly told you, this is a psalm of ascent. No matter where you are in Israel, you always go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is it's, it's an elevation thing. It's higher elevation. So this is a psalm of ascent. And this psalm tells us that the traveler need not fear the journey because Yahweh, who called the people to appear before him in Jerusalem in the first place, he's going to be there to watch over them every step of the way. The way God works... He's not necessarily the way we'd like to see him work. We would like to see us all be pain-free, disease-free, economically prosperous, with great relationships all the time. It doesn't seem to work that way in God's plan. Sometimes he tells us, I want you to go out there. I want you to leave the safety of your cocoon and get out into the world where things are dangerous, where there are difficulties, where there are troubles, and where there are pains. And I want you to demonstrate to the world that you know that I'm there with you, walking right there beside you every step of the way. Demonstrate some courage, believers, he tells these ancient Jews. Thus, the theology of Psalm 121, which is a psalm of ascent, concerns divine protection in time of need. But this divine protection in this psalm is when one is in the will of God. There really isn't any divine protection promised for the person who is willfully walking outside of God's plan for their life. And that's a little bit of a scary statement. The promises of protection in the Bible are for those who are walking in fellowship with him. We can't have it our way and demand that God adjust to us. We adjust to him and he protects us. But if you decide to go it alone, you're on your own. For example, if these people would have decided to stay in Galilee, Nazareth, Capernaum, or down south to Beersheba, if they would have stayed in those places and said, you know what, I'm not going to venture out. I hear the the weather report on AccuWeather, Jerusalem for that week. It's not a good weather report. It's going to be really hot. I think I'm going to stay here. I've got a little little flu right now. I'm not going to obey God and venture out into that dangerous territory. Plus, I heard there's a lot of bandits out there. I think I'm going to stay home where it's nice and safe. Guess what? It's not nice and safe at home. You know where it's going to be nice and safe? Out on the road, exactly where God told you to be. Right in the middle of his will. And that's what this psalm is about. When we live consistently inside the scope of his will, that's the place of safety, blessing, and prosperity for us. To borrow a passage from Isaiah, a well-known passage. The steadfast of mind that will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in thee. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord, for in God our Lord, we have an everlasting rock. The steadfast of mind, meaning those who are in God's will, that's who's going to be in perfect peace. And why are we going to have perfect peace? Because we trust in him. Isaiah goes on to say, trust in the Lord forever. That's where strength is going to be found. The pilgrims that are heading to Jerusalem can rest assured that Yahweh, the keeper of Israel, will keep them at all times on their journey to Jerusalem because they trust in him. They rest assured because they trust someone who knows of the dangers that they face, who loves them deeply, and who has the ability to rescue them from whatever danger they may encounter as they faithfully submit their will to his will. Now, don't miss that. 
as they faithfully submit their will to his will. That's where perfect peace is found. That's where safety is found. And while this passage was originally directed toward faithful Jews who were submitting to God's will as they made their way to Jerusalem, there is significance in this passage for you and for me. Great significance. The promise that is given here of divine protection extends to each one of us. There is no safer place to be than right in the middle of God's will for your life. Well, let's look at the first verse, which reads, I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains, from whence shall my help come? The first verse of the psalm presents the problem, and the second half of that first verse raises a question, legitimate question. The problem is, there's danger out there. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. This is meant to be literal. The journey to Jerusalem would go through hills and mountains, if you will, which at the time were overloaded with danger. Robbers, thieves, wild animals, slippery rocks, sharp cliffs. This would have been a concern for any traveler and his family who were, had been commanded to go from where they lived to Jerusalem. The road was rough. The road was dangerous. But they had been commanded to go there. There's no question as to what God's will was for their life. They had been commanded to get out on that road and go to Jerusalem. They were going to Jerusalem in obedience. At the same time, it would be foolish not to recognize the danger. I have friends that have said, I no longer watch the news. I no longer look at the internet. I don't want to know what's happening out there. It's all negative. I'm tired of all the negativity, and I get that. I totally understand that. But that's not the way to solve a problem. If you've got a big lump underneath your shoulder, in this lymphatic area, it's not going to be a real wise solution to ignore the fact that it's there. The wisest thing to do would be to recognize that there's a lump there and at least go to somebody who can maybe tell you, is it a danger or not? But to stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and act like there are no problems, that's not a problem-solving situation. That doesn't, that doesn't help anything. It's just going to get you shot in the rear end if you're an ostrich because that's the only thing sticking up. I mean, you're in big trouble. <laughs> At least have your head up there to where you can see what's coming. So it's foolish not to recognize there's trouble. But it's also foolish not to go just because there's trouble. Because this passage tells us where the help is going to come from. Look, I know. I know that our nation's economic situation is perilous. We can pretend that it's not, but it is. Historically, when nations face an economic meltdown, more often than not, there's violence in the streets. More often than not. And all you have to do is be a student of history to see that. People get hurt in economic meltdowns. And I'm talking about serious economic meltdowns. And people get hurt badly sometimes. Sometimes people get killed in economic meltdowns. Now, we've not had one here like they've had in other parts of the world. But I guarantee you, other parts of the world, when there's economic meltdowns, people get killed in the rioting. And contrary to what you might think, anarchy affects everyone. Suburbia will not be immune. If a nation has a solid moral foundation, the violence associated with something like that can be minimized. But does anyone here really believe that we have a solid moral foundation in our country today? 
sexual deviancy is now not only tolerated, it's celebrated. Many who can work choose not to. And they choose to let other people pay the bill for them. The sanctity of life has been completely devalued. It's no longer a secret that people who hate us are pouring across our borders, and we can do very little to stop them. That used to be a secret. It's out in the open now. It's been reported now. I'm told that the terrorists that come across the border learn just enough Spanish that if they're captured, they'll look like they're Hispanic and they're sent back. I'm not talking about the countless people that come over the border from Mexico to be here just to have a better life. I'm talking about people that mean you no good. I could go on and on and on, but that's not my point this morning. My point is not to depress you with the problem, but to encourage you with a solution. As a Christian, that's what I want. What is the solution? Yeah, I got the problem. I've read that. I see that. Now, how are we going to handle it as Christians? Are we going to curl up in our bed and quit and give up? Or are we going to get out there and get on the road and do what God told us to do, understanding that he's going to protect us along the way? So the second half of that verse raises the question, where's my help going to come from? I know there's danger out there. It's legitimate to ask, where am I going to get help from this? How am I going to get to Jerusalem? Or how are you going to get through that difficult situation that you're going to face in the coming year? That doctor's report that stuns you. The stockbroker's call that stuns you perhaps even more. How are you going to get through that? It's a legitimate question to ask, and the psalmist, fortunately, is going to answer it. In verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. Who made the heavens and the earth. Now, both verse 1 and 2, there's a, a very important Hebrew word. It's the word ezer, E-Z-E-R. And this word means help. It's most often used in the Bible, although the first time it's used, it's used of the spouse being an ezer, the, the wife being an ezer to the husband, a help for the husband in order to do the will of God. But most of the time, when this term ezer is used, it's used of God. And it's used of intervention from God. So it's more than simple help or assistance that the psalmist desires. It's divine protection. It's divine intervention. That's why when something does happen, it's legitimate to drop to our knees and say, Oh, Lord, help me. It's legitimate for us to, to go into our private place to pray and say, Oh, Lord, help her. Help him. That's legit. That's the Lord being an Ezra. So this is more than just the... Although he does it, this is more than just the day-to-day routine help. This is special help in time of need, help in time of danger, divine protection, divine guidance. Part of help is knowing what to do at any particular time, and divine blessing. That's why I said a moment ago, even if this year becomes very difficult for you, and I know some of you have faced difficulties even recently, But I can tell you this, that God can bless you through that difficulty. I'm not talking about just getting you through it. I'm talking about he can bless you through that difficulty. That's this word, Ezra. Such a powerful word, a very important Hebrew word. One of the most important words in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra. And that's what's used here. From whence shall my Ezra, my help, come from? And then he says, my Ezra, my help, comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. So as soon as he asks the question, then the answer floods his soul. There's no suspense here. The psalmist comforts himself with the thought that Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, has committed himself 
to provide help to be an ezer to his people. And once more, while this passage was specifically written to Jews who were on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate worship there at the temple, the overflow of this passage comes to you and to me. Oh, please understand this today on this first day of the year. It comes to you and to me. God has committed himself, the eternal God of the universe, the one that made this place in the first place, has committed himself to help us, provided we're in his will. The whole idea about the maker of heaven and the earth, this is not so much speaking about this controversy between evolution and creationism. This is a creedal statement. The Apostles' Creed picked up this phrase. And it signified an apologetic statement on Yahweh, the Lord's sovereignty over everything. There's no aspect of your life in the coming year that God is not sovereign over. There's nothing that he's forgotten about. There's nothing that's going to get past him. What troubles you, he knows about right now. What's troubling your soul right now as you're listening, he knows what you're thinking right now. And you may be thinking, I know that that's okay for these guys that are facing danger from robbers. But you've got no clue of the difficulties that I'm facing in the coming year. If that's the thought that's going through your head, it's okay for everybody else, but you've got no idea, Bruce, of the problems that I'm looking at. You haven't even come close to mentioning my problems yet, but God knows them, and he's committed himself to helping you. From whence will my Ezer come, my help come? Well, from the Lord my Ezer will be. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Now here we're introduced to another Hebrew term, shamar. Shamar is a Hebrew term that has to do with divine protection. Ezra is a Hebrew term that has to do with intervention. Shamar also divine protection. Divine guardianship. This passage tells us that God protects, he guides, and he blesses his own. You've heard this before, but it bears repeating. Nothing is going to get to you. Nothing has ever gotten to you that has not passed through God's divine fingertips first. If something got to you, if a difficulty came your way, you have to know that the eternal God, the one that's the maker of heaven and earth, knew about it and allowed it. And if he allowed it, given his divine promise of protection, it has to be for your blessing. That's the combination of the term Shamar and Ezra. If it got to you, if the difficulty did happen, if you did end up in bankruptcy court, or whatever it may be, if she did leave you, heaven forbid, you've got to know that it passed through God's finger and he said, okay, I'm going to let that happen. Ultimately, it's for our benefit. If it gets to you, it's for your benefit. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. This is a knock at the ancient gods. If you go back and study Greek mythology or any of the gods of the ancient world, the people that worshipped them had a problem because those gods did take naps. Those gods took vacations. Those gods would go off from time to time and cavort with other gods. The male gods would cavort with the female gods. So when you wanted to pray to that particular deity, whoever it may be, you weren't for sure that they could hear it at the time because they might be asleep or they might be off on vacation or they might be off cavorting. That's just part of Greek mythology. But this psalmist takes a stab at that type of thinking and says the God that's going to protect you never takes a nap. 
When you're walking through that dangerous road on the way to Jerusalem, you don't have to concern yourself, well, maybe God doesn't see me today. Maybe he's off doing something else. Or maybe he's taking care of someone else today because he's too busy to take care of my problems, my little old problems, compared to the big problems of the world. God never slumbers. He never sleeps. He watches you all the time. Now, that can be very comforting or it can be a little nerve-wracking. Depends on if you're in his will or not. My suggestion is stay in his will so it'll be comforting. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He keeps you. Shema. He keeps Israel and he's going to keep you. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Just like he was your Ezra, he's also your Shamar. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The festivals, the feasts rather, in Israel were scheduled for the most part at times of the year where it wouldn't be so overly oppressively hot. Israel, even in May, is hot. I'm talking about really, really hot. When we were in Israel a few years ago, uh, up on um, Masada, a few of us tried to decide we would be foolish and climb the outside of it all the way to the top. It was 112 degrees, something like that. And it was still morning at the time. It was hot. And one of the thoughts that I had, and I asked Ron Allen, who was leading the tour for us, I said, how in the world did people make it? traveling through roads like this to come to temple. And he did point out that many times the temple services were scheduled at times of the year where it wasn't so oppressively hot, but it's still hot, and that's why this word shade here is used. If you've been out in the hot Texas sun, let's say something happens in the month of July and everybody's got to leave Houston, there's no gasoline, we all have to walk north. It's going to take us two or three months to get there, and we're probably going to wonder how in the world are we going to do that given the heat and the humidity. Well, that's this reference to shade, but it's not just shade on a hand or on a right hand. The right hand signifies a position of encouragement and comfort. He's standing right there by you. He's always there to help to be an Israel. He's the shepherd of Israel. You remember the most famous of all the Psalms? The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I cannot lack for anything. This theme runs all through the Psalms of divine protection. Regardless of the happenings in life, whether at work or at home, whether asleep or awake, whether in a safe country or whether in a dangerous country or a safe part of town or a dangerous part of town, the Lord is there to help and protect. What a God we worship today. It should encourage us to enter this new year with all of its uncertainties, encouraged to know that the maker of heaven and earth is on your side and he's going to take care of you. Either he will rescue you from the disaster or he will rescue you through the disaster. But either way, you'll be rescued. And if you stick with him, you'll be blessed on the other side of it. And I'm not just talking about in eternity. I'm talking about in time. Chuck Swindoll said one time that if you preach to suffering people, you'll never lack for an audience. And I recognize that. And I know that everybody in this room and I'm not being hyperbolic or exaggerating in any way. I know that every single person in this room has issues in their life that are troubling and are difficult right now. And the reason I know that is because we live in a fallen world. If you don't have difficulties right now, you either had them yesterday or you'll have them tomorrow or you'll have them the next day. I know that and I'm sensitive to it. And that's why when I thought, what could I bring to this congregation this morning to preach something from my heart to your heart to let you know that there is encouragement for the coming year. I thought of this passage. There is so much discouragement out there. 
And I know that there are things that other people should be discouraged about. But Christians, when God is on our side, we have no real right to be discouraged or scared. We should be encouraged and hopeful. And that's what this psalmist is telling these people. And then in the final two verses, the Lord will protect you from all evil. Now that word evil is ra, Hebrew word ra, and it means not just evil in the sense of uh, bad stuff, witches and goblins, that, you know, that kind of bad horror movie kind of bad stuff. It means calamity. It means disaster. The Lord is going to keep us. And there's that same word, shamar, again. These two words, Ezra and shamar, all through this passage, indicating divine providential protection. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your coming and going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. What a way to end this psalm. What a way to begin the year. This psalmist has built up to the conviction that the Lord is present to deliver us now and tomorrow and the next day and in February and March and April and May and June and July and all the months of the year. And we're going to get to this point next year, Lord willing, and we'll reflect back on the year that was 2012 and we'll say, yes, we faced certain difficulties. Yes, I wish that wouldn't have happened. But the Lord was with me all the way. My Savior led me all the way. My shepherd led me. Therefore, I cannot lack for anything, at least nothing that he wants me to have. I can lack for something that I want to have. But I learned a long time ago, God knows better than I what it is that's going to make me ultimately happy and content. This conclusion is such a comfort to the believer that we can't help but rest assured that God is going to protect us with his providential care. And this care extends to all the adversities in life, not just the big things, not just the little things. You know, there's no degree of difficulty with God. Pray for whatever you want to pray for. Don't let anybody tell you not to, because God is powerful enough to do whatever he wants to do that's intrinsically possible to do. That's omnipotence. Pray for it. So the extent of his care, and I love the way it ends, is from this time forth and forever. This problem, this solution rather, has no time limit. The only time limit here is as long as he leaves you here on this earth. And he's going to protect you to the very last moment. God is the primary actor on the stage of history. We trust his sovereign providence, believing that he, in his sovereign grace, has our best interest in mind, as well as his own glory. As those who have been justified by grace through faith, as those who have received the free gift of eternal life by grace through faith, bringing nothing of our own apart from any of our own works, it follows that our highest purpose is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I don't know what your New Year's goals or resolution are going to be, but I hope that's one of them. That in the new year we will seek God's righteousness, seek his glory first and foremost. So we can rest assured that the Lord, our Creator, is going to take care of us. We can rest assured because we've placed our faith in the right object, one who loves us deeply and has the ability 
to deliver us from all of the situations that we face that we, that we face that we can have hope and comfort. If something should happen that's unexpected, then the believer must process that data through the lens of faith, knowing ultimately that God is going to make all things right. It was Christmas Eve in 19, or 1875, and Iris Sankey was traveling on the Delaware River on a riverboat when he was recognized by one of the passengers. His picture had been in the newspaper because, as you probably know, Iris Sankey was D.L. Moody's music leader. And so the people on board that riverboat asked him to sing one of his famous hymns. And he declined, but he did say, I will sing a hymn for you. And it was William B. Bradbury's hymn, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. As he sang, one of the stanzas of this hymn began, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. When he finished singing, a man that was there on that riverboat that day stepped out of the shadows and asked him this question. And he said, did you ever serve in the Union Army? 1875, you can do the, the math, it's right after the Civil War. Sankey answered, yes, I did serve in the Union Army. At the beginning of uh, 1860 is when I was enlisted. So this man in the shadows asked him this question. Can you remember if you were on picket duty on a moonlit night in 1862? Sankey answered that it was entirely possible because that was a common duty that he had for the Union Army. And I now want to quote from Sankey's biography of what was said next. This is what the man said. He said, so was I. But I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away alive. I raised my musket and took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing. Let him sing his song to the end, I said to myself. I can shoot him afterwards. He's my victim at all events, and my bullet cannot miss him. But the song you sang that night was the song that you sang just now. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred up so many memories. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that song to me. When you finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And my arm of its own accord dropped at my side. I don't for a minute pretend to know with certainty the specificity of the events that the new year will bring. No one knows that except for God himself. But I do know this. The most secure place that we can possibly be is right in the middle of God's will for our lives taking reasonable steps to prepare for coming difficulties is perfectly wise and legitimate. But in the process, 
Don't forget what is by far the most important thing. Let us all remain obedient to the will of God in the coming year. We can rest assured because we trust someone who knows the dangers that we face, who loves us deeply, and who has the ability to rescue us from that danger as we faithfully submit to his will.